2 Timothy chapter 3, 2 Timothy chapter 3, as we continue our series, Confident Living in Perilous Times. Confident Living in Perilous Times. It says in 2 Timothy 3, verse 1, which is the theme verse of this series that we're in. Now, as it stands right now, we have one more week after today that we'll be in this series, and then we'll be moving on. Uh, But in 2 Timothy 3, 1, it says, This know also that in the last days perilous times will come, or perilous times shall come. The word perilous has the idea of dangerous or fierce days would come. And I don't think anybody would disagree that we are in our country living in more fierce times than we probably have ever seen in our lifetime. I know there's been different wars and so forth, at other times, but uh, things are stepping up and, and it's getting uh, really actually downright aggressive people. People don't discuss things now. What they do is they beat up each other instead and they get on the internet and try to tear people apart in that regard. And all that goes with that. Well, these are the days in which we live. And so how can we as believers or as human beings, number one, And then after we've trusted Christ as believers, how can we live with confidence in the days in which we live? Well, that's what this series has been about. In very quick review, it begins with, that confidence begins with trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior. It begins with the issue of salvation. What is salvation? Well, the word salvation means to save or deliver. It isn't a Christian word It is a word that applies to a lot of different areas. Now, for us, we are talking about our eternity. We are talking about our lives. And so the idea of salvation means, in this context, to be delivered, to be delivered from an eternity in hell to an eternity in heaven. Now, I know there are people who say, well, hell doesn't exist. We don't believe in hell. But Jesus talked about it. Jesus, who is God in the flesh, the perfect one who cannot make a mistake or lie, and he actually, not joyfully, but he spoke more about hell than he actually did about heaven. He warned us about hell, but he gave us the solution to heaven. He gave us a solution to hell and how to live with him forever in heaven. And it says in John chapter 3, in verse 16, Jesus is speaking here actually. He says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. All right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. All right? Why did Jesus come? Friend, let me tell you this. If you could earn your way to heaven by doing good deeds, Jesus would have never come. The death he suffered was horrific. It was the worst death in all of mankind, all right? You might say, well, other people have, you know, been, uh, uh, had limbs amputated while they're alive and these kind of things. And, you know, Jesus only died on the cross. There was more going on on the cross than just his physical death. As awful as crucifixion was, which was just about the worst way of dying, in the days that it was practiced because usually the body would hang on the cross for days and just the person would rot and the person would suffer. Well, suffer and then rot, okay? And then birds would come, birds of prey, and eat the body. Now, you might say, well, that's, that's gross. Well, I'm just telling you the way it was, okay? Now, Jesus went to the cross for a specific reason. And when he died, he died when he did on purpose, 
He made it very clear before he died. He says, no man takes my life from me. I give it up of myself. He was in charge of that. But when he accomplished what he needed to, the Bible says he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. He, he died at that point. Now, what was it he was trying to accomplish? He was, he was providing for you and me eternal life, a way to heaven. But you see, our sin had to be taken care of, and that's what he came to do. Let me explain it to you this way. If this hand was to represent you and me, and this wallet, all of our sin, here we are, all of us are sinners, all of us, including me. Yet the Bible says to me, you know what? God loves you. God hates your sin, but he loves you. And God wants everybody to live with him forever in heaven. But you see, to get to heaven, friend, you have to be sinless because heaven's a perfect place. No sin can dwell there. Therefore, because we're all sinners, we are disqualified. And God not only says that, he says this, because he is a holy God, not only can we not get into heaven, but our sin also because we have rebelled against him, we have violated his word, there's a debt that must be paid. Okay? There's a penalty for that. And it is death. Okay? Not only physical death, but spiritual death, being separated from God for all eternity. Now here's the truth of it. If you die, if you die and your sin is still on you, you'll spend forever separated from God in hell. And God doesn't want that for you or for me. You might say, what about good works? I'm, I'm going to, you know, I, I love the great hymn we sang. Uh, you could cry your whole life and it won't pay for your sin. Tears could forever flow and it won't pay for your sin. What's the song say? Thou must save, referring to God, and thou alone. It's only through Christ that you can go to heaven. Your good works, because we're already sinners and therefore disqualified, your good works, nowhere does it say good works will pay for sin. That's what we need is a payment for sin. Well, because there's nothing we could do, God sent his son to be the savior of the world, okay? He took on flesh, this is Jesus, and when he went to the cross, he took all of our sin upon himself, and he made that awful payment for you and me. He suffered for us as a substitute, okay? He died, he shed his blood, he paid it in full, all your sin has been paid for, and he rose from the grave. And he says this, if you will believe in him, in other words, you're putting your faith, your trust in him that he made that payment for you. He'll give you that very moment, everlasting life. All your sins are forgiven. Why? Because you've accepted the payment he made for you. You've taken it as your own, his payment, as the payment for your sin. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now, if you reject the payment he made, if you say, oh, that wasn't enough, what he did on the cross was not enough, what you're saying is that you then will assume the responsibility for your sin. Well, friend, if you do that, there's only one way you can do that. You'll be forever separated from God in conscious torment, okay? Doesn't have to be. God loves you. He wants you to be his child. He made the payment. You just accept the payment he made for you. You're putting your faith in Jesus that he made the payment for you. And when you do, he gives you everlasting life. Everlasting means once you have it, you have it forever. You can never be lost once you have it. He'll never lose you. Jesus said it. I'll never lose you. I'll never cast you out. 
You know, why do preachers say, well, no, that's not true? You're calling God a liar, friend. It is true. See, they don't understand grace. And next verse that I have, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, it says this, for by grace are ye saved. See, grace is unmerited favor. It's not something you can earn through your works. For by grace are ye saved, through faith, faith in Christ and what he did for you. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Not of works. So if you will trust in Jesus Christ today, he will save you by his unmerited favor or kindness. It's undeserved. We don't deserve that, but God loves us that much that he would offer that to us. So trust him as your savior. Now, if this is true, if you've trusted Christ as your savior, if this is true for the believer and it is, then why do we fear? You know, we still get scared. We still freak out. We still lose sleep over things. Well, listen, friend, we're going to spend forever with the Lord. The day's coming. Just be patient. The day's coming. Not only are better days ahead, the best days are ahead. As a matter of fact, the best eternity is ahead. Forget about the days. Let's talk forever, right? And that's what he gives us. The Lord wants us to live as believers confidently knowing we are on our way to heaven. But we need to learn to do something to live confidently. And and that led us to what we talked about last week, the issue of learning how to walk by faith. What does it mean to walk by faith? Well, the word faith means to trust in or rely upon. Number one, it means trusting in the Lord himself, trusting in the Lord himself. In other words, just like you trusted in Jesus Christ as your savior, God wants us to trust in him each day for the power and the strength and the guidance in our daily life. It says in Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. Now that would be trusting in yourself. In all thy ways acknowledge him. He shall, he shall direct thy path. So it is trusting in the Lord himself. It's what we need to do to walk by faith. But with that, it's also trusting in his word. This marvelous gift that he gave us called the Bible. This cannot be overemphasized. This is in contrast to trusting in yourself, trusting in the opinions of others. It's trusting in his word. Now listen, according to scripture, I want you to turn there with me, Proverbs 30. Proverbs chapter 30. According to scripture, when we trust in the word of God, we are trusting in the Lord who gave us the word. Okay? The word of God is the inspired word of God. It is God-breathed. It is the very words, plural, of God. God gave us words in a book, and he wants us to trust what that book says. And when we trust what it says, we're trusting in him because he is the one who said it. You know, if, if I was to say to you, you know what, come back tonight and I'm gonna be speaking tonight. And I have something that I think you're going to, I believe you're going to be greatly encouraged by that. It'll be an encouraging message for you tonight. Now, outside of rapture or death, I'm going to do that tonight. I'm going to do it. Do you trust me? Okay. Now, why do you trust me? Is because, well, you're trusting what I said to be true. 
But you know what? I am a man and I am a sinner and I could fail or go back on that. Now, I'm not going to. I don't plan to do that. But here's the truth of it. God cannot fail. And he has said it and he not only said it, he put it on paper so we don't forget it. And he says, you trust my word because you're trusting my word. I gave you the words. It's my written guarantee that I will be true to what I said. And so to trust in the Bible is to trust in God himself. Look at it. And there's many scriptures we could cover, but right now we're just reviewing from the last two weeks. Proverbs 30 verse 5, every word of God is pure. Every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in him. Look at that. Every word of God is pure. He is a shield to them that put their trust in him. You trust in his word, you're trusting in him. It's not an accident that those two truths, those concepts are in one verse. And it's not the only place, by the way, that we see that. So when we trust in the Lord himself, we we trust in his word. And as we do that, our faith increases. And it gets stronger as we become more confident in living for the Lord. Okay, we see that principle. Now, I know the, the, the context of Romans ten seventeen is is salvation, but it is a life principle. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. As we take in the word of God, okay, that grows faith, that grows our faith. And as we practice the word of God, that really grows our faith. And we experience spiritual growth as people. But there's a third thing I want to mention today. Okay, that helps us have confident living in perilous times. And it is this, the divine plan of the local church. The divine plan of the local church. There are lots of people who are even going to church this morning who don't understand the divine plan of the local church. If we are doing our job as believers and serving the Lord as we should, the Bible tells us we will suffer persecution. All right? Well, that's, it may be a little bit of a struggle then to have confident living in perilous times. Okay? You get shot at, so to speak. You get shot at. Well, turn with me to John chapter 15. And as you're turning to John 15, Paul was writing to Timothy and he said, yea, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. So if you're going to live for the Lord, you're going to be persecuted. Well, that can beat on your, it can challenge your confidence as a believer. You can find yourself uh, cowering in fear, okay? And of course, the word cower is related to what word? Coward. And God doesn't want us to be that way. I believe this issue of persecution and trouble for the believers and the suffering that that will will come from that, I believe this is only going to increase in our country in the days in which we live. All right? So what are you going to do with that? Well, Jesus said this in John 15. See, he warned his disciples. He warned them of what was coming. And he said in John 15, 18, he says, if the world hate you, Ye know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, 
they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. So he says, hey, if you end up being hated because of your stand on the truth of scripture, because you're living out your Christian faith, because you're sharing the gospel and trying to reach other people for Christ, you're gonna be persecuted. There's gonna be trouble. But I want you to remember this. When you're going through that and you're licking your wounds, so to speak, they hated me before they hated you. And it's because of their hate for me, Jesus is telling us, that's why they hate you. Because you're aligning yourself with me. Okay? Now, folks, listen. Unless you're an obnoxious Christian or condescending or rude or whatever, if you get persecuted for trying to live for Jesus Christ, it's part of the package. And again, it's going to get worse. So are we ready? Can we live with confidence with this? What should we do? Go hide in a cave somewhere? Keep your mouth shut? Change the way we live to a more carnal lifestyle? Folks, this is the way of the coward, not the committed Christian. God doesn't want us retreating. He wants us going forward. I am determined to live for the king. Now, when the men say, uh, I'm determined to be invincible, it's not, hopefully you heard all the words. It's not self-confidence. It's confidence in the Lord, trusting in him. It's walking by faith that makes that effective. There's debate on this today. Let me just cover it very quickly. There is the body of Christ, which makes up all believers all over the planet, But God has created within that, he has created a more specific vehicle to carry out his plan. And that vehicle is called the local church. When I say the church universal, I'm not talking about the Roman Catholic church. When I say the church universal, I'm talking about the the body of Christ around the world. And there are Christians, matter of fact, we have many who watch this program. There are Christians who don't have a local church. But are they part of the church, the body of Christ? Yes, they are. Okay? Now, anybody who wants to fight that, you've got serious doctrinal problems you're going to have to deal with. Because then you're telling me that to be part of the body of Christ, you have to be in a local church. Well, friend, what about if you're in a local church and then you move away and there is no local church? Now, have you lost your salvation? Are you no longer in the body? No. There's all the believers collectively around the planet, but it is the will of God that all those believers have local churches to be a part of. That's the way that it is supposed to be. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10. God has created this issue, this plan of the local church to accomplish his work in the day in which we live. Now, I know there are parachurch organizations, and some of them do a good work, but they are not the main plan of the age in which we live. We are living in the church age today. And it is, it is it, the, the plan, and you see it in Scripture, is the local church. Now, I will say... Uh, unequivocally, okay, that it is the will of God. If you can be in a local church, a sound Bible-believing local church, you ought to be in one, okay? You might say, well, I would, I would love to do that. Well, I'm going to address that in just a minute, but we don't have one. I'm going to address that. But let me tell you something, folks. There are people who have heard what I'm saying. There are people who live in St. Cloud that we've led to Christ, 
and they don't go to church. Don't tell me there's not a sound local church in St. Cloud. It's that you just don't want it. You just want to do your own thing. You don't think you need it. Well, if you don't think you need it, your mind is out of sync with the word of God. Now listen, I understand there are people who can't. They've got physical issues, they're homebound, and that's one of the reasons, by the way, we, st- we started live streaming, is for those people. But live streaming has never been an excuse to stay home, ever, ever. As a matter of fact, I hes- hesitated to do it for a long time because I know human nature and people could use it that way. But I knew that we had people who if they're sick or if they're traveling, they wanna, boy, they don't wanna miss church. I mean, they're faithful members here. They don't wanna miss church. And so even as they're away over a weekend or whatever, they'll tune in through live streaming and they'll, they'll be a part. Now I know it's only on a screen, but still. But Hebrews 10 verse 23, it says this, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. For he is faithful, that promise. And let us consider one another. Notice, let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. That was even happening in Paul's day. But exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. I believe the day here is talking about the rapture of the church. This passage tells us something very important. Simply put, we need each other. We need each other. I say, well, you know what? I just don't like Christians. Well, can I tell you, friend? You've got a very critical spirit. No, they're not perfect, but neither are you. Neither are you. See, we need each other. The best way to accomplish God's work is through the local church because that is what God has ordained. That's not my conclusion to this that I'm giving you. This is what the Bible says. This is what the Bible says. Most of Paul's writings, by the way, do we understand this? Most of Paul's writings were directed to and about local churches. Not just the body of Christ in general, to and about local churches. He gave instruction. He went pl- places, local churches were planted. He says, he says, get godly men. You need leadership in those churches. They need to be strong. They need to be a, a, a beacon in their area, a light that shines and that has a profound effect where they're at. Now I hear from people on a regular basis who do not have a doctrinally sound local church to go to And I'll be very honest with you. I truly feel bad about that. I really do. Because I know what we have here. What can be done about that? Well, friends, if you're out there and you're listening, I'm going to challenge you. The obvious one is prayerfully continue to look for one. That's obvious, and I know a lot of you do, and I know a lot of people do. And you know what? Yeah, you need to. And and I, I think we would all agree with that. Here's another one. Pray that the Lord will send someone to your area that will start one. Be serious about this. Pray about this several times a day. I say, well, I prayed about it once, God knows. No, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. When I think about fervent, I don't think about, "Eh, Lord, you know, we got this need. Here it is, Lord, please take it. Now, listen, he could answer it. That's, you know, what's really sad though, isn't it true? I know this is a little bit of a sidebar. 
When God answers our prayers very quickly, we get surprised, don't we? Shame on us. Shame on us. But be fervent. Keep praying. There are things worth praying about a long time. Okay? The salvation of others, the help, the healing for others, and also that you could have a sound local church to go to and to be a part of. Not just go to now. You notice what I said? To be a part of. Because if all you do is go to church, you're not a part of the church, not the way God planned. So prayerfully continue to look for one. Secondly, pray the Lord will send someone to your area to start one. Third, here you go. Start a Bible study with hopes that it will develop into a local church. Okay, not stopping at a Bible study. A Bible study is not the same as local church. They're not the same. Well, I thought if two or three, no, 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 no. That just says he's in the presence. It doesn't say it's a local church. And the fourth one, and this is really where the rubber meets the road. I'm speaking to you men out there. If you are a godly man, pray about starting one yourself. Well, I'm not qualified. Uh, Let me ask you this. Why do you say that? Here's the question. How serious are we about this? Do we see it as God does? See, here's the truth of it. If you're a godly man, why not start one yourself if you don't have one in the area? Can I tell you this? In New Testament times when new churches were started, these people were relatively new believers who were starting these churches. Now, yeah, training took place to kind of get them up to speed and to get them educated and trained and so forth, but they started these churches, but they were, they were godly, they had a godly desire, and they said, we're going to have a local church here. They didn't go off to seminary before they came and started a church. There was no time for that. Here's the truth of it. God will help you. Take some courses online from a good Bible college. Why not do that? You can do that where you're at. You don't have to go away. Now, I recommend Day Spring Bible College and Seminary. It's a good school, great school. But you know what? You can do that through them. Let me also say this. We at Northland will also help any way we can with materials and instruction to help you start a church in your area. Do I have someone to send? No, not at this point. But I'll tell you what we do have. We have years and years and years of Bible teaching. And it's all yours for free if you want it. But you have to be serious about it because it's going to be work on our part to get that to you. I'm just saying this. If you're serious about it, there's ways to get it. Okay? And if you've been waiting, waiting, waiting for somebody to come or you're praying or this or that, the time is now. Let's do it. Okay? You can do it. We need the local church. We need the local church. Let me give you some reasons with the time we have remaining. Number one, we need the local church to equip believers to do the work of the ministry. Ephesians chapter four, you want to turn there. Ephesians four, in verse 11, it says this, and he, the Lord, gave some apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers to do what? For the perfecting, the equipping of the saints to do the work of the ministry, for the edifying, the building up of the body of Christ. The word edify, it means to build up. We get our English word edifice from it. You're erecting an edifice, okay? To build up the body 
I think it's not only quality, but also quantity. This is how the body is built. Look up here, and I don't have a chart to show you. We have one, but I just didn't do it for you today. Just trying to follow me here. If you, you see a list coming down. He gave some apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers for the perfecting of the saints. Those are believers. Saints are believers. So these were given to the body to equip, perfect the saints to do the work of the ministry. What is the work of the ministry? Evangelism and discipleship. So these, now yes, these men should be doing the work of the ministry too, but they are gifts to the body to equip the saints so that the saints too can go. It's not just, we'll leave it to the people who are getting paid. No, no, no. We are all this. This is, this is what local church is about. And if you're not engaged in this, you're out of the will of God. So you get saved, come to church. You come to church, it's not just the social gathering, although certain things, I'll talk about more about that in a minute, certain emotional things can help in that regard. But you come and then you're a part and then you're coming faithfully because only as you come faithfully can you get equipped effectively. And so you come, do the work of the ministry, okay? or you're, you're getting equipped, and then the work of the ministry, go out now. Go out and reach people in the world. And when you reach them for Christ, when you lead them to Christ, or if you can't lead them to Christ, then bring them to church to where we can lead them to Christ. But nevertheless, you, you get them saved and then you get them because getting a person saved is just the beginning. It's not the end. You get them and you bring them to church with you. And then they sit under the teaching and the application. And then they get equipped to where now they can go back. And so we're going Reaching, training, okay? Evangelism, discipleship. Evangelism, discipleship. Evangelism, discipleship. This is what local church is all about. Are you part of it? Are you part of that process? Verse 16, for whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplies. Do you see that every joint? That means everybody's important. If you're saved, you're important. According to the effectual working and the measure of every part maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Do you see that? Now you notice what I see, and hopefully you see it too in verse 16. It's not put in words, but where it says every joint supplies, this speaks to the church as being multi-generational. Multi-generational. The church is not just for old folks. The church is not just for kids. The church is not just for millennials. The church is not just for whoever is between millennials and whoever. I can't, yeah, I can't keep all the X's and O's and R's and all this stuff, Y's, okay? Generation Y. I don't know, why are they called that? Do the parents regret having them? Here's little Junior, why did we have him? Anyways, don't get hung up on that. I'm just joking. But here's the point. Here's the point. Multi-generational. That's the way church is supposed to be. Now, we strive for that in our church. That's important. By the way, that is one of the beauties of family camp. I don't know if you've ever looked at it that way. That's why we have family camp. That's why we just don't have just a youth camp. I'm not against youth camps, but family camp is a wonderful thing because it's all these generations connecting with each other, okay? 
and everybody gets to know everybody else's kids and family and so forth, and that's a, that's a good thing. You might say, well, I, I don't want anybody to know us. Well, you're not thinking biblically. Mm-mm, no. It says every joint supplies. And then to bear that out or to prove that, can I just very quickly, Ephesians chapter 5 through 6, it talks about wives, husbands, children, something for everybody. The truth of God touches every life. And remember, Ephesians is written to a, what kind of church? Local church. Colossians 3, 18 through 20, same thing. Wives, husbands, children. Titus 2, 1 through 8, it talks about the older women and the younger women. Talks about the older men and the younger men. Talks about the children. A church should be multi-generational. Well, I'm just targeting millennials. You're not right. Or years ago when the whole purpose-driven movement started. And it's like, you know, we've got to change this, we've got to change that. Well, what about the older people? They don't like it. Well, tell them to find another church. Wait a minute. You wouldn't have a church if it wasn't from them. They're the ones who paid for it. Don't you dare do something like that. Don't you dare. And that was going on, by the way. What a big mistake that was. And by the way, you didn't have to wait for it to happen to know it was wrong. If you know the word of God, it's not an issue. Multi-generational. Look with me to Matthew 28. Matthew 28 in verse 19. Jesus said, go therefore and teach all nations. Some Bibles say make disciples. Yes, that's the goal. But the actual word here does mean teach. Now, yeah, it is the same root as disciple, I understand. But the, how are we going to teach them? Or how are we going to make disciples without teaching them? Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Teach all things. The whole counsel of God, letting them understand the word of God, the truth of God, because the word of God is what transforms a person and makes them into the godly Christian God wants them to be. That is the work of the local church. Well, pastor, don't you know that the church didn't exist at the time Jesus was was saying that to them? Yes, I understand that, but he knew what was coming. They didn't, but he did. It was a mystery, yes. They didn't know what was coming, but he did. And those very ones before the church age began are the foundational people in the church. And by the way, the first local church was where? Jerusalem. And it was started on the day of Pentecost. Not on paper, but in reality. So we need the local church to equip believers to do the work of the ministry. Back to Hebrews chapter 10 in verse 24, it says, and let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. We need the local church to provoke one another to love and good works. The word provoke means to stir up, to incite. We think of incite as something always negative today. No, the word incite is, is generic in that regard. It's, it, it can be either negative or positive depending on the context of the conversation, okay? When I look at a brother or sister in Christ, God wants me to stir them up. He wants me to incite them to godliness and try to be a a help and an encouragement to them to go on and serve the Lord. The local church is that responsibility. And we need to be doing it. 
We need to be encouraging each other. When somebody comes who just got saved out of the world and they've got, they've got addictions, they've got this, they've got that, they've got all these different things wrong, they're carrying all this, you know, they've got a whole line of luggage, so to speak, baggage, rather, it's the word we use, that they're carrying with them. What does God want us to do? He wants us to come alongside and lovingly encourage them and saying, hey, you know, Listen, a lot of us have a past. It's okay. God has saved you. He's given you eternal life. Now you're a child of God. Let's move on from here. What can I do to be a blessing to you? Let us consider one another. Not ourselves here. You notice the focus is not on me. It isn't what I get. I come to church because I get. No, no, no. I come to church because I can give. It's a place for me to be a blessing to other people. And you know what, folks? If all of us would think that way, it'd make a huge difference, wouldn't it? Might say, well, I need my needs to be met. Well, try meeting somebody else's needs. And if everybody thinks the right way, your needs will be met. But that's not the point. That's not why we live, is for my needs to be met. We live to be a help. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and unto good works. Another thing, we need the local church to be accountable to each other. Boy, people don't like that one today. This is foreign to our society today who create their own world through media, their own world. If you doubt that, just walk the campus at St. Cloud State University. You've got a huge number of students walking around in their own world and their entire life is like this. You know, they walk across busy streets that way they walk around campus, okay? They got their buds in and they're, and they're walking and, and it's like, how do you carry on a conversation with somebody like that? You got your own world. God's not made us to live that way. We need to be accountable to one another. Well, people, I've heard people say this. Well, I don't need church to worship God. I, I don't go to church anymore. I don't need church to worship God. I can worship God out on the lake. Boy, that's a vulnerable place to be. Lots can happen to you out there, friend. I worship God on the golf course. What was it, yesterday? Nine people were injured by lightning strike at this national tournament. Yikes. Not good. Here's the truth of it. If that is what you think, you are not understanding the local church. You are looking at the issue from a selfish perspective, a selfish perspective. I've heard this over the years. Well, I don't want to go to church. I I quit going to church. Why is that? Well, there's too many hypocrites. Well, there's room for one more. Why don't you, why don't you come? You know, you know, some of you may not want to hear this, but every one of us in this room is a hypocrite. Sometime or another, we're hypocritical. We'll judge somebody else, and in fact, we're doing the same thing. By the way, that's usually why you're sensitive to something. Listen, we need to love one another. We need to forgive. We need to encourage. We need to provoke unto loving good works, okay? Imperfect people. That's what really makes the ministry interesting. Imperfect people. I'll tell you what, if everybody was perfect, there'd be people lining up to go into the ministry. It'd be a dream job. Listen, don't go into the ministry unless you need to. And by the way, you do need to. There are some who do need to. What I'm saying, though, is it's, it's tough. It's tough. 
but it's worth it. It's really worth it because you're helping people from an eternal perspective. <laughs> One man who said, who didn't want to go to church anymore, oh, I don't go to church, I'm not interested, this and that. Somebody said to him, well, when you were a baby, your mother brought you to church. When you were married, your wife brought you to church. When you die, your friends will bring you to church. Why not try coming to church on your own sometime? It's good. Look at Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews 3, verse 12, it says, Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another, how often? Daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. You see, friend, there's a much greater chance that if you're not plugged in and faithful to your local church here, there's a much greater chance that you are going to develop wrong ideas, and those wrong ideas are going to lead to wrong decisions, and it's not going to only affect you, it's going to affect your family, it's going to affect everybody around you, your marriage, your children, your friends. Why? Because we need each other. That's what it says. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. It says, take heed, brethren, exhort one another daily. How are you going to do that if you're not plugged in? You don't want to become hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. You notice this is deceitfulness of sin. That means sin tricks you into thinking something's okay when in fact it's going to lead to destruction. We need the local church to encourage those who are hurting. Can I say it? There are hurting people today. The local church is a haven for the hurting. That's the way it's supposed to be. Well, I don't believe this church is. Yeah, and you know what? There's a good chance that you're not plugged in the way you ought to be, and you don't see it. You don't know what's going on. There's a lot going on, okay? Met with people, just yesterday I met with people who are hurting, deeply hurting people in our church. I feel terrible when I see hurting people. But what do they need? They need some encouragement. They need some prayer, okay? What can we do to be a blessing? That's the mindset. Listen, if you're not a part of that, you miss out on all of that. Romans 12.10 says, Be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love and honor preferring one another. You notice it says one to another, one another. It's not about me. Romans 12.13, Distributing to the necessity of the saints, given to hospitality. Bless them which persecute you. Bless and curse not. Rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. If you're not plugged in, how do you know what's going on? And lastly, we need the local church to care for one another on a personal level, such as a loss of a loved one or sickness, okay? We're visiting those who can't come to church or in a hospital, visiting them. Let me tell you something. No TV preacher or ministry can do that for you. I've heard people say, well, I go to church by watching Dr. Stanley, Dr. Jeremiah. Well, number one, you better be careful about some of their doctrines. They're not in line on, on everything. Now, I know that can be controversial to people, but if you listen carefully, you'll get what I'm saying. I'm not going to go there. It's not time for that. But here's the point, friend. None of those people can help you like a local church can. None of them. If you need somebody in the middle of the night, okay, 
or you need somebody to come over, something's happened, and it's the middle of the night, okay? I can't speak for every pastor in the world, but I tell you this, you call, I'm there. Why? Because that's what we need to be doing with each other, being there. See, here is the truth. There is strength in numbers. There's strength in numbers. And that is something that will help you have confidence in living for Christ. This brings confidence and boldness The truth that I am not alone. I am on a team. I have people who will help me run the race successfully. I will be effective for Christ. All of these things, they're the fruits of a proper local church ministry. Let's close in 1 John chapter 5. If you happen to be here today and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, this is where everything begins, friend. By trusting in him. You don't earn your way to heaven. And obviously, I hope you've understood, coming to church is not going to save you. Coming to church in this church, you will hear how to be saved. But the key is whether you're going to trust in Jesus Christ as your savior. He'll give you eternal life. It's a gift. And you can know you're going to heaven. Look at this. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. You can know you're going to heaven. Did you know that you can know? I know that I know that I know. I'm going to heaven. I've known it for years. If it's not based on how you live, you can know. If you think you have to live a certain way to get to heaven, then you'd never know. You'd never know. Why? Well, because you never know whether you've been good enough. But it's not based on being good. It's based on what Jesus did for you on the cross. Trust him. Would you do that today? Let's all bow in prayer. Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening. And would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com. Your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, and God bless you.